Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's dive into today's episode. First of all, my name is Adam Homie. I'm your host. I'm so honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. And our topic for our conversation that we're about to dive into is something that is parallel to something that is very near and dear to me. Those who have seen my chapter that I contributed to Journeys to Success in Millennial Edition will remember the segment of my chapter where I get into what I call the democratization of information dissemination that's been driven by new media, social media, and instant media. On the one hand, it's awesome that we allow new voices to rise up rather than a, a small group of controlled networks that set the tone and basically create the narrative. Anybody who has a voice and a willing to use it can be a force. That's awesome. The cursed side of it is that sometimes you get some weird stuff and sometimes you get a little bit of com- confusion and then you have to sort through it and then you have to take a fact-based approach. All in all, though, I believe in the democratization of information dissemination because I believe it's the foundation of our principles of free speech and what America is all about. And today's guests have a very similar topic. It's about the democratization of education. This is going to be fun. Let me tell you about our guests first off. Their names are Joel and Natalie Rivera. And to tell you what they're doing, their website is onlinecoursrevolution.com. And a little bit of background, after their business crumbled due to a sudden illness that had Joel bedridden for a year, they decided they never wanted to be in that situation again. So they dedicated themselves to converting their training and speaking programs into online courses that would outlive them and would provide passive income. They reached over 100,000 students from 191 countries in only three years and became advocates for the democratization of education. Today, they're passionate about teaching anyone with a skill, experience, or passion to share, which is everyone, how to monetize their knowledge in this new economy by teaching what they know and love online. So, Joelle and Natalie, the weather is fine. Come on in. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. And we're excited about this topic because it's fun that you're passionate about it too. Um, And obviously, we love your audience. We work with the same group of people who are hungry for creation and for being in control of their lives and contributing. So we're just happy to be here. Yes, Adam, we're we're truly honored. Um, Like you were saying, it's the same, you know, what we look at when we focus on democratization of education, what you're talking about is really in the same lane because there's so many ways that we look at how that plays into our society. You know, it's not just about for us as creating courses, but you know, like you said, anyone that has a voice can put it out there. Uh, so we're really excited about the topic. Uh, looking at your background, we love like what you bring to the table and everything that you've done to help people 
and even looking at how you used to dress up as a, a website surgeon. <laughs> like that, so. Don't we remind love- me. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. So we love your creativity and ability to just get out there and, and find ways to help people. I, I got to get a groundhog costume because of my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. And uh, those who uh, those who notice that I sort of resemble an adult version of a certain actor that was in a very popular Christmas movie that airs for 24 hours straight every Christmas on TBS. Yes, I have a pink nightmare bunny costume. <laughs> and yes, there is one photograph of me wearing it that I do my best to control. Uh, the, people that, the people that I went to Fremont Street here in Las Vegas for the Halloween celebration when I wore that costume, they claimed they dragged me down there and made me do it. Me, I'm like, cool, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be the grown-up Ralphie wearing the Pink Nightmare costume. Let's do this. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Yeah. Right. Well, and, I, and I have a Rainbow Dash costume that I, that I wear in a, <laughs> I have a, a turkey costume that I've worn. So, you know, I think we're in the same page. All right. So we have some folks who I imagine at this point are leaning in, they're opening separate browser tabs, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles trying to discover more about this Joel and Natalie Rivera. So for your binging of Yahoos and Googles, that's spelled J-O-E-E-L and N-A-T-A-L-I-E-R-I-V-E-R-A. You're welcome. And their website, onlinecoursrevolution.com. So before we get into some of the topics we're going to cover today, like the future of education, how entrepreneurship is a form of empowerment, and maybe even get a chance to answer some of those common questions from folks who came to believe that film an info course, do a launch, and make a million dollars, and then they find out the reality behind that. Uh, Maybe you can shed some light on that since you've had actual success with your reach and your profit margins and everything. What we'd like to do before we get into that is have you tell us a little bit about your journey uh, and what has driven you to serve business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Okay, so there's a lot of different parts of our story, so we'll keep this succinct. Uh, Ultimately, we both were entrepreneurs since we were kids. Um, Just really couldn't stand the idea of submitting to a traditional in-the-box corporate lifestyle. Uh And so we both were entrepreneurs before we met. We we met about 10 years ago, and um, we both had the same passions. Like We wanted that that freedom to create our own destiny that comes with being an entrepreneur, but also we had a passion for helping people. And we both started out in social services, uh, but realized that our calling was to help people who wanted to help themselves, not the ones that kind of had no choice. And um, it led us into coaching, which led us into many other things, including running conferences and being speakers and opening a publishing company. And we had a, a holistic virtual office center and many different businesses over the years. And we are always working with what we call indiepreneurs. So people who are ultimately self-employed or they have a micro business and they just want to make money doing what they love. And that's always been the market that felt we, we worked with, and then we started to have them come to us saying, how do you do what you do? Can you teach me how to do it? And so we started coaching them. And a lot of the businesses in the last, you know, five years that we've been focusing on are there to help people who want to also dive into entrepreneurship. Because as you mentioned, we believe it is the ultimate form of empowerment. And then we had a bit of a hiccup, which really pushed us to another level. And I'll let Joelle tell you a little bit more about that. 
And before I mention it, I'll just rewind a little bit too and uh, what got us in some of the positions that we're in is, for example, for me, I, you know, I was failed out of college. My brother passed away and, and it really lit a fire under me. It gave me purpose to try to see how I can contribute to society and recognizing that life is short. Uh, so at the age of 19, I went back to school and got into the psychology field and things like that. Uh, but fast forward, you know, I was a psychology professor. I left it. And we both decided that this is the time that we either are going to like launch our business and really focus on it hundred uh, percent, or we rather live in a box. There was no other thing that we would want to do. But so every time that we would do something, whether it was opening up a magazine, um, somebody in the community would say, Hey, wouldn't it be great to have a center that does this? And we would look, look for each other and say, okay, let's do that too. Next thing we know, we had five different businesses and, uh, we ended up traveling overseas, already burned out because obviously running five businesses is going to burn anyone out. Uh, I ended up sick and bedridden for a year. And from that experience, it made, me, made us realize that our businesses around us were crumbling. And it really helped me refocus my attention. Like, what's my legacy? What do I want to contribute? What do I want to leave behind? And we started studying online courses as a means of being able to create passive incomes and leave a legacy. And we really dove deep into understanding about democratization of education, but what's really happening in the world with it and how we can play a part in it. And I'll tell you my passion around what do you do, democratization of education, is I feel in some ways the educational system failed me. Now, before listeners say, oh, well, stop blaming people because you didn't study, I worked my ass off, number one. Uh, number two, uh, where I feel there was some shortcomings came to light when I went to college. I went to Penn State, and I'm a proud Penn Stater, and I love the experience, and uh, my political science degree has actually been of great benefit to me as the communication skills and the argumentative skills that I learned through that discipline have been very helpful to me as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, and as a communicator in business and personal life. That said, it seemed like my first three years of college were high school all over again. And every time I turned around, they were felt like they were changing the roles on how many science classes I had to take when I knew when I cared nothing of science and how much mathematics I had to take. You know, the funny thing is for all my near genius, according to my IQ test, I couldn't uh, I couldn't measure an isosceles triangle or solve it for X. Uh, I finished high school with a course called trigonometry and college algebra. Forget calculus. That wasn't happening. Got to Penn State, told me I had to take the two math classes. They gave me a proficiency test. The proficiency test recommended I go back and do remedial math. However, it said that if I wanted to just jump in, I could probably get by taking, guess what? Trigonometry and college algebra. So why did I have to take that twice and still barely get through it? Uh, what, 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 does that, what does that say? And, and plus, I, I was pretty sure that given that level of inaptitude for mathematics, I mean, I can do addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division in my head based on how we were taught to carry the one and everything and, uh, you know, multiply it by two and add one and things like that that we learned in middle school. But it's not my aptitude. And I felt like the education system really wasn't giving me enough of the stuff that I could really just take and run with. I became a five-year student because I missed so many classes I really wanted to take because I had to fulfill all these requirements that had nothing to do with me. 
that I wasn't leaving there until I actually got to take all the classes I wanted to take. So I extended my stay even though I had enough credits to graduate just so I could get the full benefit. Now, when I see that, and then I see uh, this, you know, no child left behind. I'm, I don't want to get into whether that's a good or bad thing. Uh, and the challenges we have educating people and giving them skills that will translate to the real world. And then one other final personal note, and believe me, you're going to hear mostly from Joel and Natalie. I just got to get this out. Uh, I went to college and then I went and I got my MBA in human resource management, which has also been very helpful to me in my career. Uh, my sister went to college for three fourths of a semester and then she called my parents and had them come pick her up and she never went back. She then went to a, a trade school, became an MRI tech, and she and her husband are doing exceedingly well financially. You should see their house. The thing is a work of art. Uh, but the stigma that my sister faced because she dropped out of college like she was a failure I don't think it was a failure. I just don't think it was the type of education she needed to get her to the goals that she was really looking for in life and that there was a stigma around that. And then finally we hear all this stuff about, you know, let's give everybody free college. And I ask, what about free trade school? Why? I mean, if you're going to give people a free education, uh, maybe not everybody's suited for college. Maybe some people are suited for trade school. Maybe some people need uh, really just want to be taught how to code. But we come up with this idea of what education should be, and I think it's the opposite of democratized, and that's why I wanted to have Joel and Natalie here today. So based on my horror story of Christmas past, if you guys could tell me, what do you see the future of education looking like? Maybe it gets brighter. Well, one thing I'll say also is that I wasn't that far from you in my first year of college because I was in uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania in St. Oh. College. So okay. Uh, but another thing that I'll point out is that I come from the traditional education. And one thing that I was looking at when I was teaching psychology is the reality, which I would talk to my students about, is that uh, the times are changing and what the needs of the market are changing drastically. I'll give you a perfect example. They say by 2030, 30 to 50% of jobs will be displaced because of automation, because of AI, because of robotics and things like that. And really traditional education, it doesn't help people get the foundation to really deal with this new economy that's coming, especially right. when you look at that as coming as a gig economy. So as a gig economy, you have to learn how to change, how to adapt to these changes, how to learn quickly, how to basically be an entrepreneur. So in educational, traditional education, they help you focus on like you need to focus on your weaknesses and build those weaknesses. But as an entrepreneur, you have to learn how to focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. So I think that traditional education does hold a lot of people back. But what I love about some of the things that are happening with the education field is that it's opening up. For example, we have over 150,000 students and from 194 countries, I think, at this point. Yes. And only 30% of them are from the United States. So it's also opening up the market that if you have anything to teach as an educator, whether you're teaching something uh, because you learn it, you know, from hands-on experience or you had a hobby or something, your career, you know, there's a market out there of people just waiting uh, for you to share that information with them. Right. 
Okay, what I have to do here is I'm not sure if uh, both of you are going to contribute to every question or not. So if we have the occasional momentary pause, that's just me waiting to see if uh, the other one jumps in. So I uh, just wanted to <laughs> just wanted to see, Natalie, do you have any other thoughts on this before we move on? Because I think that's a great point. And there are a couple other things I'm really excited about covering here. Yeah, actually, I, I really think that it's important for people to understand what you were saying. What you were saying is that the traditional education system at the university level, at least, it wasn't working for you. It was forcing you to spend your time and your money learning yeah. something that was ultimately irrelevant to you. And I felt the same way. I felt the same way, you know, in a lot earlier, even yeah. before, co before college level, uh, it just felt like a waste of time. And so the truth is that in so many ways, it is a waste of time. Now, people can argue that what you're learning in in school or even in university is more than just the, the knowledge you're learning, the, the study skills, the responsibility, the social skills. That's all well and good, but the truth is that our current education system at the K through 12 and the university level are not really meeting the needs of the people anymore. It used to be that it only met the needs of the people who had the money to go. Right. And that was a problem because that means all of high-level knowledge was being held hostage by universities and colleges. And only people who could get there and pay for it were able to access this knowledge and therefore the opportunity. So it right. was only working for a small percentage of the people. But now it's not working for anybody because there's people who are spending tens of thousands of dollars to send their kid to college that are coming out with a degree that by the time they get the degree, the information that they learned is outdated because things are, are changing too quickly. And so that's why we're so passionate about what we're here to talk about today, because you no longer have to go to a university or college to learn the information that you learn there. And so it's already starting to shift where the economy is starting to get used to the fact that people don't have degrees. So even places like Google and other large tech companies are no longer requiring a degree. So right. the stigma that you mentioned is starting to change because people are starting to figure out that spending six years to get a master's degree doesn't make sense in a world that, that in two years you're going to be in a different business landscape. Because the truth is, is that you know, children today, by the time they're in their mid-30s, in their midst of their career, they're going to be in a career that's in an industry that doesn't even exist right now. And so right. if they went and spent eight years of their life going to college for a career that they wanted, by the time they're done, that career is probably going to be gone. And so it, all of these things are converging at once, that society is changing, the economy is changing, and all of these things are good things, even though to some people they seem very scary. But at the same time, there's this new technology available where our internet speed is fast enough and the technology to create videos is in the palm of everybody's hand and their phones and the costs have come down. And so anybody who's out there who's listening to this can be one of the instructors of the courses of the future. Because like Joelle mentions, there's people all over the world that are looking to learn what you have to teach. And so it's the perfect timing because the economy is changing, the education system is failing, and we're all here offering our information to the world in, in a packaged way, not just let's go on Google or YouTube and look for a small piece. Let's, let's learn something in depth, in full from the person who knows because they've been there and done that and they're the expert. And you don't have to have a, a professor at a university in order to do that. Now you can learn from anywhere 
and you can learn from any one. And so it's solving all of those problems and it's making education available to everybody in an on-demand way that can keep up with the pace of the changing world. Right, right. So going back to when I was in the MBA program at Duquesne University, where I, where I got my MBA, uh, I had just enough understanding. It was a surface level understanding, but I had just enough to understand where I needed to really spend my time in my coursework. And it was in a few key areas, one of which was understanding the history of business so that we could see how trends evolved over time and how things have changed and how industries and disciplines that perhaps didn't exist 30 years before came in and radically shifted how everything happened and and how companies, how workforce trends and everything adapted to that. So the history is very important. The second piece was argumentation, which is how to make a case. So one of the toughest courses, but one of the ones I really feel I got the most out of was a course uh, where basically we did analysis of Harvard Business Review case studies. And we had, it was taught by two professors and one of them uh, would listen with, you know, all the, you know, oh, look at me, I'm a brilliant MBA type answers everybody would give. And they'd say, yeah, that's all great. I, I dream about that stuff. But why don't you ask the real questions? And I learned so much from this engineering type guy on how to, ask questions that nobody else is thinking about. And then the third piece I thought was very important was to understand the difference between theory and practice. And I took a statistics class, I can't even pronounce it, and I did very poorly in it. But then, taught by the same professor, I took a course on business processes and all of a sudden those uh, statistical process control things made sense. And I can actually speak with you about Edwards Deming now. Uh, so those three areas, because I recognize that the specific, this is how it works today stuff would change in 10 years, but having the fundamental background understanding and skills to work with changes as they came up would make the MBA more valuable. And uh, one final thing I just want to slip in there about the, um, about the, you know, some of the thoughts and, you know, as you said, and I thought it was brilliant how due to the cost of education, it was held hostage by people who had the money to afford it. Uh, I remember after I finished Penn State and then I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. So I worked a couple really crappy jobs for a couple years where, where I decided to go for the MBA. And I actually decided to go for an MBA at Duquesne University because through one of those jobs, I became acquainted with the guy who, I think he's still there actually, but at the time he was the head of the human resource department for both undergrad and graduate. And in one of our conversations, he said, how about you? Have you ever thought about becoming an MBA? And I said, well, you know, I, I graduated college a year and a half ago, and they said, uh, and they say that once you graduate college, you really can't go back to grad school because you're, you're on a track, and plus you've lost all your skills. And he said, that's absolute nonsense. We prefer people who have some real-world experience because they'll understand what we're teaching. But I definitely see the value because um, for me, you know, I went for my associate my bachelor's and that I kept going to the next yeah. step, but it was really that life experience uh, throughout that whole process. I was actually always either working full time or had a side business at this. Yeah. 
which was giving me a lot of the skills. And actually, even going through my master's, one of the things that I did was that every class, we have to write like a, a 20, 30-page research paper on a topic. So I would really dedicate the semester to digging deep into that specific topic. And then I would develop a workshop out of it. So I would go to a nonprofit or a company and say, hey, uh, I've been doing a lot of research on team building. I would love to do a, a workshop in your company to bring the team together or an organization that was downsizing. You know, I've been doing a lot of research on downsizing and how to do that effectively uh, where you can still maintain trust and motivation with your employees. So then I would incorporate what I was learning. So I think that active learning is essential, you know, and, and that's what education can change to help people not only read a book, but then how do you apply it and apply it actively in their lives so that when they do get a degree, it's not just about a piece of paper, it's actually what have you done to grow and for me, one of the best things about this, you know, the democratization of education is also uh, like audiobooks. Like I can, I listen to about three books a week so I can submerge myself in different topics. I can learn about them and just get a taste of them. If I really like them, I'll, you know, I'll consume about 10 different books uh, on that specific topic and really get knowledgeable about that. So I think that there's so much opportunity for us to grow as long as we're willing to understand what areas of our life we're willing to grow, that we need to grow to really create the success that we want to create. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, that when we're talking about that education isn't working the way it is now, I think that we can all agree that it doesn't mean that there isn't any value in the current system. It's that it's outdated and it needs to change. It's not a secret that our current education system was designed when we were in a very factory-based economy and we're basically training people to sit in a cubicle or, you know, stand behind a line and do repetitive tasks from nine to five every day. But that that's not the reality of the, the current economy and especially not the future economy. But like you're pointing out with your story that there is still value in going to college because you're learning those foundational skills, whether it's study skills, research skills, um, Learning how to learn is probably the most important and then critical thinking skills because if you don't have that and all you're doing is putting a lot of information in your brain, you're not really going to be able to apply it. And so ultimately, the, the, if I had to recommend for anyone what they should do with their own education is continue to go to college, but don't only take what you learn there and assume that that's all you're going to ever need to know. You can be diving deeper into the, you know, you take a course on a certain topic and you find it really interesting. So go out there and find courses taught by people through these online course platforms and learn more from another perspective or listen to a, an audio book or read a book on that topic. Don't just listen to what that one professor is teaching out of a, you know, an ancient manuscript that they yeah. call a book um, and recognize that, that, that education is meant to be lived which is what joel is saying and so it's really yeah. about learning how to learn getting the foundation and especially if there are certain careers you're going into you're going to need higher education and you might even need it through a master's degree or phd at this point right. but it's just taking responsibility for it and then for those like you were saying about your sister that the trade school was more appropriate for her the reality is that trade school is more appropriate for most people but that you also don't even have to go to a trade school because at this point, there's so many certifications you can get online. There's so many different types of skills that you can get 
um, that are up and coming skills. So if you learn, like for instance, if you take several courses and you get really good at using a 3D printer, you're really in demand right now. You don't need a degree or something from a trade school in order to get into that field because it's an upcoming field. Right. And so that, that exists in so many ways. So like a lot of people hold themselves back because they say, oh, I can't go, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I can't go back to school now. I already work full time. It's like, well, you don't need to go back to college. You can just spend a few hours a week taking an online course and it can open up a world of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, just one real quick thing. And I know some of the f- listener feedback we got when we announced we were going to be doing this interview, uh, they want to learn kind of how you did this, uh, how you managed to be so successful creating online courses and getting the reach you got. But just one quick point, a uh, guy I used to know, uh, he had a daughter, uh, she was a senior in high school and he, and he told me that her passion was carpentry. She spent a lot of her free time building cabinets and doing stuff with wood. And she, and she told her dad that she wanted to be a carpenter. And he, he said, all right, you want to be a carpenter? I'm all for it. I'm all in. I support you. I recognize this is really what you want to do in life. Uh, I know not everybody's you know, expected to be a lawyer or doctor or an accountant, so, but we always need stuff built with wood. So here was the deal he made with her. He would support her in that 1,000% on the one condition that she went to a college where she had to actually go, to, go away to college. And the reason he wanted her to do that was so that she could see something of the world and get some cultural and personal enrichment that would make her life more full rather than if she just stayed in the same town and went straight to building cabinets and stuff like that. The other piece of that was he would pay for the college as long as she got a business degree. No basket weaving, uh, no uh, you know, intersectional studies or anything like that. And the reason he emphasized a business degree is because whether she got a job as a carpenter or started a business as a carpenter, having a business degree would make her more economically viable. And from what I understand, because I did catch up with him briefly, like five years later, that's kind of how it went down. She went away to college, got a business degree and uh, was working for her company as a cabinet maker. And she was certified in that. and It was going great. Hmm, That's pretty interesting. Well, it really just goes to show that there's there's value to be had, but that it's about making the decision of the right type of education for you. But like you said, people listening to this are also entrepreneurs who are thinking, well, geez, if this is, if this is the direction that entrepreneurship or the education is going and there's a need out there for people to be creating courses, how can I get into that game? Exactly. And that's kind of where we are now. So you guys And this is awesome. You've reached 100,000 students in 191 countries in only three years. And I know people, even some clients that I've worked with, struggled to sell 10 copies of their course for even though they did everything right and been working with them on their launches, we did everything right. What it frequently boiled down to is that in some cases, the audiences just simply didn't recognize how powerful a form of learning this is and didn't believe in it enough to invest in it. So how did you go ahead creating those courses and how did you create the awareness in your audience that this is something that would be highly valuable to them? I think these are really some of the key reasons people are tuning in today. Definitely. And uh, before I answer that question, I just want to give a little background for that. Just so people understand 
what we're talking about and what the potential is. And, uh, and that it can relate to any industry. For example, we know someone that teaches aromatherapy, which is about essential oils and how to use them with people and things like that. And she brought over a million dollars last year. I have another friend who teaches how to like make logos. She had a passion. She didn't go to school for it. She just has a passion how to make logos. She did it in Photoshop and things like that. Yeah. She started creating courses on Skillshare and different platforms. And I think this year she's bringing in over 250000 Another lady that we know, she uh, went through a divorce and started learning how to bake bread. And uh, she, well, that was her passion. She started teaching it with a point and shoot camera, started putting information out there. Last year, she made over $300,000 a year. So it's what I'm trying to point out is that sometimes people think about it and they say, well, okay, well, you have to be teaching something technical or academic or something like that. And we're talking about something very different. So one of the things that you ask is, how do we get that many students? Uh, and at this point, we have over 150,000 students. And one of the key points, first of all, is to one, know what you're teaching and know what problem you're solving. So if you don't understand your client's pain point, you're never going to sell anything. So it's no matter how good your course is, no matter how good what you created, no matter how good your landing page looks or anything like that, if you don't understand the language that your potential client is, if you don't understand what your target market is, if you don't understand what their pain points are, when they hear, they're like, oh, I need that. Like it becomes a need because people don't buy and they don't do things that I want. They do because they feel like they need that because that's what's going to help them transform their lives. The second part is like, how do you figure that out? Well, one of the ways that we did it and we still do is that we, you know, we join forums, we join groups, uh, we interact with like whether it's groups online or, or meetup groups that we go to and really understand individuals in those industries so we can understand what they're looking for and what their big needs are. What really holds them back from living like the dream that they want or creating the career that they want or just in their personal relationship. You know, we have courses that have to do with how to say no to other people. Because some people just have a problem saying no, so they overcommit. Just like we have training for coaches or we have uh, training for businesses. So some of the Fortune 500 companies that take our, our courses of how to manage you know, a difficult employee or something like that, how to uh, be, develop creativity in their workspace. So the point being is that you have to understand your market. And what we did to develop such a following is that we also then found where are they at? Because a lot of people think, okay, there's always a shortcut. So for us, whether it was our magazine, whether it's doing conferences, for example, when we did conferences, we could market in all the newspapers. What we did is that we also partnered with five or six other people in the community that had a huge following. Uh, we put the conference together. They would market it to their people, and we never had to spend a dollar marketing. And we had a, a, an event that was fully sold out. The same thing happens with the courses. So we look at platforms that already have tens of millions of students and put some of our courses in those platforms. For example, Udemy, Skillshare, Skill Success, and other platforms like that. And what happens is that people take our courses there. They like our courses. They go to our main site. They join our list. And they also buy other stuff that we're doing, whether it's another course, whether it's a book, whether it's uh, a program that we have, or whether even coaching that they want to do with us. But at the same time, is recognizing that you have to go where your market's at. Because if you're relying on marketing to other people, whether Facebook ads and things like that, you can do that. But it takes a lot of ad dollars. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of mistakes to really figure it out. For us, the way we feel about it, our motto is that we get paid to market. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, think, and I think that's really great. Uh, I've... I do have a couple requests for um, 
you know, technical type questions, like how did you technically do it? Uh, just because everybody always asks about the technology stack. So let's get that in there so that uh, they can understand. Okay. And actually just before I get into that, cause I want to make sure people, um, most people that we have interacted with that are interested in making a course, the technology part is part of the problem that holds them back. But most of it is not really understanding how a course would fit into their business. So I just want to kind of give a framework for that right. for somebody to kind of like check off the boxes of like, what is it that I'm really looking at here? So, and I'm going to go through it quickly. The first thing is who are you making the course for? If you have an existing business, you could be making the course for your existing people to have another option of something that they can buy from you. Um, right. For other people, you are trying to get clients with your course. So maybe you're using it as a lead magnet, or maybe you're just starting from complete scratch. You don't have a business at all, but you have to really determine which category do you fall into. And then again, the next piece is why are you making the course? Are you, are you trying to offer another option? I'm going to give you an example here. So we work with a lot of life coaches and life coaches ultimately trade their time for money, which means they have an appointment with a client. They get paid for that appointment, but you can only meet with so many people in a day. And so by having an online course, it gives them something that allows them to reach more people in less time and also offer it at a lower cost than they would pay for their one-on-one. -on -one. And so that's one reason why you might want a course is because you can offer a service that makes it so you don't have to basically handhold every single client that you have. Now, another option would be you might want to use your course to educate your audience. So for instance, if you're a chiropractor, you could be creating courses on things that your clients would want to know about either chiropractor information or even other health-related information. So you become the go-to person in your field. So that would be another reason why you would want a course. Um, and then another thing that came up that Joelle was saying is like, well, how do you sell the course? So there's ultimately two options at its simplest form. One is you create the course, you host it on your website, and you do marketing to get people to your website that sells your course. That is what most people think of when they think of marketing a course. And of course, that can be effective. Joel pointed out it can also be very expensive. So you need to, that's why he was saying so much and emphasizing so much, and you have to know your audience. This works extremely well if you have an existing audience or if you really understand and are already connected to the people that you're making the course for. If you're starting from scratch, this is probably not the best way to do it. The other option we call the high volume, low cost model. And the reason why it's high volume and low cost is because like Joel was pointing out, you put your course out into marketplaces that already sell courses. They have huge advertising budgets. They have millions of students on their platforms and you add your course to their platform. Now it's not exactly like, hey, I put it up and it starts selling. You do have to learn how to make your course stand out, but you are accessing a huge group of people who are interested in your topic. They're already there. Someone else is doing the marketing for you, hence getting paid to market yourself but they are also selling the course at a low cost. So again, high volume, you sell a lot of them at a low cost. And so for people who are just starting, that is an easier way to get into it if you don't already have a market. But I just really wanted to show that framework. It really depends on who you are and where you are already connected to people and what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to get leads are you trying to reach a lot of people or are you trying to offer something to your existing clients? And no matter what situation you're in, 
there is a way to make it work for you. It's just understanding it's not like a one size fits all. And I'll right. go over the technical side real quick. Uh, when we first started, we had just, uh, obviously I was bedridden. I was sick. We actually even sold our furniture just to be able to pay our rent at that point. Wow. So we had a point and shoot camera and we started with the point and shoot camera. We would set it up on top of like a little counter and uh, to be able to record ourselves. And then I would use my the headphones for my iPhone at the time. It has a little lapel. So I would hide the, the headphone part and just put the lapel out and I would speak to it and I would just use an app on my iPhone to record the audio. And then I would. So it was pretty ghetto. Yeah, it was pretty ghetto. <laughs> yeah. So then I would use uh, a Microsoft uh, video editor that was for free and I would just line up the audio with the video and I would just slice the beginning. I would slice the end and that was it. Right. Uh, and I would tell you that now we look at those courses and it's embarrassing, but <laughs> I would tell you that, you know, those courses still produce more money than I did as a full-time psychology professor. So what I'm trying to point out is that it doesn't have to be perfect. When you look at the technical side, people overcomplicate. Obviously now we have good lighting equipment we have a better camera uh, but you can get a lapel mic on Amazon for like 30 bucks. You can get a decent camera for a couple hundred bucks. You can get yep. lighting for like $50. Uh, so it isn't that complicated. And if you don't want to edit your stuff, you can go on a website like Indeed and hire somebody and outsource to somebody that knows how to do it professionally and even pay like $30, $40 because for them, you know, you're, you're paying them, you know, they charge you six, $7 an hour. They're professional at it, so they can do it at a very low cost. So it doesn't have to be this major project where you have to invest all this time and money into it. It's just your time. So once you have that foundation, then you're able to put in these platforms that market it for you. Yeah, and what to me is somewhat inspiring about that is how you emphasize that they didn't have to do an outlay of like $6,000 for a studio just to get started. And what I also caught is when you said, yeah, we went back and looked at our previous stuff and it was kind of embarrassing, but did you make money off that embarrassing stuff? Did you change lives with it? Yeah, exactly. That's the point is that, that we still, some of our original courses that were recorded with that, well, crappy equipment, um, they're still our top selling courses. People, I know. People love it because of the content, not because of what it looks like. And obviously we have, you know, much better content. I mean, what it looks like now, but it's, I think that the, point we're trying to make here is that perfectionism is what holds people back, not just for online courses, but for everything. And that if you have something of value to share, it's really not about how perfect you can make the end product. It's about A, teaching them something that is actually useful, that's going to help them apply the information. Unlike an academic style course, which is very, you know, textbook, here's the information, Online courses are very interactive. It's like, this is how you actually apply this. This is how it actually works in the real world. And you're speaking from whatever it is that your knowledge or experience or expertise is. And so that comes across as very useful. You're saving somebody the time it took for you to become an expert. You're giving them a major shortcut. But at the same time, it's, you know, showing your personality, just being yourself. Like we like the joke around that, you know, we, we make mistakes or, you know, kind of sound goofy sometimes in our videos, but our students actually like it because it, we come across as being very, like very legit. We're real. We're not trying to be perfect because you're not, you're not trying to make an advertising, like you're not making like a, an ad for TV. You're not making a movie. You're making a course. 
and, and you're not trying to make an academic course where you're covering a hundred hours of knowledge like a textbook. You're just teaching what you know. And so it, to uncomplicate the process as much as pop possible, that's what we teach. And there's a lot of other people who teach about how to make online courses that have a very different philosophy from us. Um, but a lot of them aren't as successful as, as we are. So our, our anti-perfectionist philosophy is what has allowed us to do what we've done. Right. So what I captured is you said anti-perfectionist philosophy. Yes. You know, it's when we talk about democratization of education, also going along with the new media and how it's led to the democratization of information dissemination, you hear a lot of podcasts, live streams, even radio shows and presentations on webinars that are candidly not perfect. I, myself, in my delivery, when I do these episodes of Business Creators Radio Show, I'm not really worried if I get everything perfect. I just want it to be helpful to our audience. And I find that sometimes it's the imperfections that create the pattern interrupts that cause people to lean in, refocus, and gain more from it. It's also the reason why some of our listeners will know that uh, every once in a while, I will blurt out an obscenity and then pause because I want to make sure that they hear me. <laughs> and, and, I can, and I can tell you that in, um, that in all my time, I've gotten exactly one complaint about that. And, uh, and uh, I said to the stupid asshole, uh, did you still find the episode valuable? And they said, yeah, we loved it. It's like, okay, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and that's the thing. A lot of people, when you go in the online space, you're going to have haters. You're going to have people that are very critical. Uh, but what I've always come to realize is that, you know, there might be some insights that might help you. You know, I used to hate looking at reviews when somebody, yeah. was but the reality is that I learned a lot from them. And sometimes, you know, there's nothing of value to add. It's just people just want to criticize when they're not doing anything in their lives. So they want to try to bring people down as well. But the reality is that you're still, if you're impacting lives, if you're still moving forward, you can still continue to change and adapt it. For us, you know, we have over 75 courses at this point, but with every course, we've always improved. And those incremental improvements have really made a huge difference. So, you know, we learn how to shoot better. We learn how to create better curriculums. We learn how to uh, market them better. So everything in life is just about a learning process. So um, I think the founder of LinkedIn says something about that if you waited, uh, if in your launch. If you weren't embarrassed by your first launch, then you waited too long. Yeah. Right. And for us, again, we're embarrassed by some of the things that we first launched, but those things are still producing more revenue than me working a full-time job as a psychology professor. So I think the reality is that everyone has something to teach. It's just willing to get out there and sometimes even make a fool out of yourself. Like I mentioned when we started, when we started this, that you were willing to go out there, you know, and be that website surgeon. And some people might've looked at you and said, you know, this guy's crazy, but you got people's attention, right? And you were able to move forward with it because you were just being yourself. I actually attracted a stalker hater on LinkedIn who would just find discussion groups where I contributed and then start stupid arguments over the meanings of words and stuff like that. And the first couple time I, times I actually fell for it and got in this pointless debate that really just sucked my energy. Then I went and looked at what that person was doing, and I noticed that uh, their stuff was just crap. So I took a th so the fourth time they tried it, I tried a, I tried a different approach, and... 
I went back to all the other times they flamed me, and I just responded. I said, I said, this response is actually from the group. Please be aware that this person who is now mocking and criticizing my contributions discussion is obsessed with me and is attempting to build their own brand by proving that I don't have these skills. You can see this thread, this thread, and this thread. Anybody who wishes to have a productive discussion about the topic at hand, I'm here. But bear in mind, this person can gap till the cows come home. I will not be responding. <laughs> didn't hear, I didn't hear from the person after that, except I, uh, uh, I checked in with them a couple years later because the time they were trying to raise themselves up by bringing me down, uh, they were positioning themselves as some big website conversions expert. And I noticed that they had um, gone into real estate and all their website conversion stuff no longer existed. They'd become a realtor. Now, realtors are good people. Uh, in this case, I had a little fun with it. I messaged her. And I said, you know, my website conversion business has had a bumper year, and I'm looking to diversify my real estate holdings. Any chance you could help me with that, since that seems to be the thing you actually know? I didn't get, I didn't get any response off that. Once in a while, the empire strikes back. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that, for me, it's, I recognize that everyone's in a different place in life. Yeah. You know, and the only thing that you could do as an entrepreneur is focus on you and what you're trying to achieve and what your goals are and how to move forward with those goals. Um, because I think it's very easy to get distracted by other people. It's like misery loves company. Yeah. So you can either join it or you can decide that I'm going to have control of my life and I'm going to create the reality that I want and I'm going to move forward with that. And actually, it's a really, I like the, I like the strategy you're talking about there where you're just kind of putting it out there, letting people know. And that's the thing is that um, my, one of my favorite quotes, the, basically the gist of it is Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, it's not the critic who counts. Yes. It's the man who's in the arena. And so if you are thinking about creating a course, then create the course and put it out there and don't worry about what your competitors will think or any criticism you might get because they're not the ones in the arena. They're not the ones actually doing the work to create something you are. And so they don't like their opinion doesn't matter if they're not out there doing it too. Cause most of those people who are, are critical of it are just the ones that they don't, they frankly don't have the balls to do it themselves. And so it is one of the things that people struggle with um, in all areas of life is probably the most common mental illness is the need for approval is yeah. part of being human, but especially when it comes to making courses, but really with anything in business, the only way that you're ever going to make it is if you just do it there. And really the whole point we're talking about, we're talking about the democratization of education. So if you don't know how to write a curriculum, if you don't know how to decide who your market is or how to write marketing copy or how to record a video or how to edit a video, well, you know what? There's a course for that. All you have to do is look it up. Just like if you wanted information, it's out there. You can Google it. If you want more detailed information that takes you step-by-step through it, there are online courses out there that will teach you exactly what you need to know. And of course we have one too. We even have like a free one that kind of gets you started, but that's not the main point. The main point is whatever it is you want to learn how to do, you have no excuse because the information's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Very candid. And I, and I appreciate you bringing up the Theodore Roosevelt quote. It's actually one of my favorites. Uh, Teddy was, truly the bull moose in many ways i mean this this is a guy who was such a manly man that he got shot 
before he was going to give a speech, and he gave the speech anyway. I mean, uh, I mean, this this is somebody who had no fear of being in the arena, and the way he dealt with his uh, haters was he would write editorials in newspapers, and bear in mind this is the President of the United States doing this, where he would say, well, if you really got something, meet me in the ring, and I'll, we'll find out who's the man here. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the biggest difference between uh, the, you know, his administration and the Trump administration is there wasn't Twitter. Imagine Teddy Roosevelt on Twitter, please. <laughs> it would have it would have it would have been it would have been exciting and 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 fun and and just deliciously evil uh but the point remains that yeah you're the one out there creating the course you're the one that uh is actually giving your brilliance and your passion to the world it's it's like i've I've um, had experiences with folks. Um, I, uh, I I dealt with a client maybe 10 years ago who had put out a sales letter for a course they were selling. It was actually a digital course. And somebody wrote, your your business practices are unethical because uh, because I, I didn't see the price. And so you're trying to rip us off. And this client wanted to you know, formulate a big response full of apologies and explanations and wanted to review all our processes and asked me to handle it. So I handled it. And then I waited for the client to ask me uh, what came of it. It's like, well, did you write to her? And what did she say? It's like, I didn't write to her. I went to the database and deleted her. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's about what her feedback was worth. Because I, I, I didn't see her doing courses. I decided to solve somebody who would attack a complete stranger over something stupid. Yep. And that's the, that's the whole reason why we're anti-perfectionists. Is because yeah. the only reason anyone's trying to be perfect is to get approval from other people. But the only people you want approval from are the ones that are coming to you because they really need what you can teach them in order to move forward in their life or their business or whatever area of their life that they're focusing on. They don't they don't need you to be perfect. So anyone who does basically can, you know, go jump off a bridge for all you care. It's not. Exactly. <laughs> it's not your problem. Those aren't your people. Preci- preci- precisely. It's the same uh, if somebody unsubscribes from your mailing list and you, and they say, I never signed up for your list and you spam me, even though you have the original subscription report, you have the IP address, you have the triangulation report and everything else. Uh and you actually want to spend time on why they unsubscribe. But meanwhile, you've got all these other people lined up around, around the corner. Similar thing is folks who get gun shy about promoting their course, promoting their events, promoting their services. You're going to say, well, that, that's too many emails. And, 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 so, and somebody told me that they don't like when they get all these emails. Uh, what I say to that is the only way you're going to disappoint somebody in a way that's going to hurt your business, all things being equal, is if you don't provide the value that the people who are looking for the value are providing. So by worrying about this one person who says, there's too many emails, you are actually doing a disservice to the folks who would actually probably be disappointed if you didn't email them enough. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think it comes down to something critical that you said, if you're adding value, because there's yeah. a lot of people that write, send a lot of emails, but they're not really adding value. They're just trying uh, to sell. 
And yeah. for us, you know, it's always been about building community. So we have, you know, private Facebook groups and we have different ways that we build community. And our students know that we generally love like them and we want to help them succeed and we generally care about them. So when that comes through, they want to support you. So that's why we have, you know, every time we launch a course, as soon as we send the email out, I know that there's many of them that don't even read the email within one or two minutes. They already bought the course, the new course. And it's almost like they know that what we created is going to add value to them because everything that we're doing is focused on how to add value, not just how to make another dollar. Because at the end of the day, it's not about money for us. It's about what legacy are we leaving behind? And if you can focus on that, then the money will come. Uh, the community will come and everything falls in place. And I just want to point out one of the things that you said there and it's so important. And that's that if, if you have something that you could do in your business, that a course that you could create or some way that you could serve other people through your business and you hold yourself back from doing it because you're afraid that it's not going to be perfect or you tell yourself you don't know how instead of just going and looking it up and learning it. If you don't put yourself out there, you're actually doing a disservice to all the people that you could be helping because the truth is, is that there are people out there who need you to do what you're supposed to be doing. They're waiting for you to do it. So if you're right. not doing it, if you're holding yourself back for any of these superficial reasons, especially like you said, if you're doing it because you think somebody might not like it, but think about all the people who are you're right now, you're harming them by not putting yourself out there. Um, and so I hope people get that point that that's the biggest mistake is not doing it. The mistakes you make when you do it are very small compared to not doing it at all. Right, right. We're at the top of the hour here. We have two minutes left. I want to give one of those minutes to you guys. Anybody who's leaning in and interested in taking the next step, what, what do you have for them? Uh, we actually have a page that we made just for your, your listeners. Um, it's onlinecoursevolution.com slash BCR for business creators radio. And um, on that page, we actually have a free course that you can take. If you are one of those people who's thinking, well, maybe I should make a course. It kind of helps you w walk through that, you know, that, that blueprint that I was talking about of figuring out like who your people are and what you're going to teach and why. Um, and then obviously we do have a course called online course or online course revolution that does teach you how to do it. If you decide that that's something that you're ready for. Um, and really more than anything, we have a lot of material out there, whether if you're just getting started and you want to start a side hustle, we have a program on there for that too, yep. just to kind of get your feet wet. Um, and we have a lot of resources. We're always coming up with different ways to help people. Yep. And we would love to see anyone that is listening now become an entrepreneur if you're not already or take your business to the next level. Um, and especially if you're willing to join us in the democratization of education and becoming yep. an instructor of the future, then we are um, excited to have you join us. Okay. Again, that's onlinecoursevolution.com forward slash BCR. So Joelle and Natalie Rivera, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and well, literally an education. <laughs> well, that's what we're you. here for thank you we're truly honored to be here with you today thank you for everything you do to make a difference in this world all right so we trust you've enjoyed today's episode of the business creators radio show check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and while you're there be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you until next time have a great day take care <laughs>